Hello and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast, developed by the Leva Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. We are a group of fundraising professionals here to grow and learn with you, our listeners. Twice a month, our co-hosts are joined by a special guest to talk about all things related to being a stronger fundraiser and nonprofit leader. A huge thank you to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations, for making this show possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Here are your hosts. Welcome to the show, fellow fundraisers. I am Christy Ackley from Fairwinds Consulting, and I'm here with the amazing Allie Schneider from Animal Humane Society. Hello and welcome, everyone. We're really excited for our speaker today. Yes. So we get to talk to Betsy Paik, who is by far one of my favorite people in the whole world. I met her about a year and a half ago. And when I first got introduced to Betsy and she was talking about neuro-linguistic programming and or NLP and the subconscious mind, I was like, this lady is crazy. (laughs) Um, Sure. Yeah. Whatever you say, Betsy, you know, but as I've gotten to know her over the last year and a half and like, I love to listen to her podcast, the art of living big. um, She's not crazy. She's not even close to crazy. In fact, she's incredibly inspirational and she's taught me a lot over the last year and a half. And so I wanted to introduce her to our listeners because I think that she can really help all of you as well. And so without further ado, I just want to say welcome, Betsy, to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And I don't mind being a little crazy. Let's be a little (laughs) off center, right? We all are. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Betsy, do you want to um, kick us off just by introducing yourself, you know, what NLP is, um, who you are, how you do your work, that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Betsy Paik, and I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a master mindset coach, but I am trained as a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, and hypnotherapy, um, and emotional freedom technique, and something called time techniques. And so I work with people in their unconscious mind so that they can begin to shift and what I call live big right? Mm -hmm. Which living big is wherever you are in your life, how can you expand into the greatest version of you in that spot? You know, sometimes I think like, especially with social media, like we see people and we're like, oh, if I could be that, then I would be Mm -hmm. really, that would be it, you know? I remember years ago when people first started getting those refrigerators that had the ice and the water in the door. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's when I'll know I've made it. When I have the ice and the water in the door. So we see people and think like that would be it. But really we can expand into the greatest version of ourselves right where we are. We don't have to wait mm. to get the fancy refrigerator, you know? So that is what I do. And I can dive right into NLP and what that is if you'd like. Please. Is that, is that where you want to go? Okay. So um, NLP, or neuro-linguistic programming, is really a modality that helps a practitioner, someone that's trained in NLP, to understand your version of reality. Hmm. So everybody creates their own reality. And sometimes that reality really works for them. And sometimes it doesn't. And what NLP does is it allows me a window into your internal representational system so that I know how you're seeing things. Now, there's a really good sentence that I like to use (laughs) that can help me to explain a little bit further what I mean. So, are you ready? (laughs) Okay. Anne approached the bank. Anne approached the bank. So what is it that you thought of when I said that? Did you think of like a woman walking up to a bank? What'd you think? Yeah. Is that what you thought too? Honestly, I kind of thought what she might do next. I'm like, is she going to rob the bank? (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you live by the water, you might have thought of a woman in a boat approaching the bank. Or or if you know somebody named Anne, you might have immediately thought of your friend Anne approaching the bank. So I said one thing. And you each had your own reality Mm -hmm. about that thing. And so our reality is created inside of us. And then it's projected out. And this is how come on Facebook, somebody can say one thing. (laughs) People see it five million different ways, right? And so NLP allows us to understand how you're seeing it 
And then make, making sure that it matches what you consciously want, because there can be a disconnect with what you're unconsciously projecting out and what you actually want. Interesting. I've been reading too many murder mysteries, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> thinking bad things are going to happen. You're next. thinking that she's getting shot on her way into the, into the bank. Yeah. Or you live in Atlanta. That would be a common. Right. <laughs> but your experience is what creates that. It's like a voting system in your mind. Right. Mm -hmm. So like whatever your experience is, it's voting that thing up. Because you could think about a woman in a boat, like you have access to that. But whatever was brought up to the surface is your voting system, voting it up, you know? And that's how come sometimes someone can say something, you know, we're heading into Thanksgiving time. You're at Thanksgiving and Uncle Joe says something stupid that he always says, right? And you immediately have this reaction. You might not be hearing it the way he's saying it today. You may be experiencing it the way you've always experienced Uncle Joe. And I think that's why holidays lots of times can be hard for people because we do grow and change. And then we show up at Thanksgiving dinner and those people know us in a certain way mm -hmm. and they expect us to be a certain way and they treat us a certain way. And that sometimes can feel really, feel really painful. So that's NLP in a nutshell, but we can dive into all things unconscious and share a little bit more. So Betsy, I would assume that Thanksgiving scenario applies when you've been at a at an organization a really long time too, right? I mean, if you've worked someplace for 20 years, who you were the day you walked in 20 years ago and who you are today is much different, but the people around you may not necessarily see that. Yeah, I think that's possible. I also think people discount what they are bringing from their own lives their own life experience, their own interactions over their entire life, you know, the, the way that they see the world, they, they discount how that lens is influencing the work that they do, mm -hmm. right? It's influencing how they experience, um, you know, their fundraising efforts. It's how they experience um, what other people are doing in the organization, right? So it, it's, it's almost like understanding that I am seeing the world in a certain way because of my life experience and how that has like tinted the lens of my glasses that I see through can help you to understand, all right, if I'm having trouble with one particular area at work, how is my life experience impacting this? How is what I believe, how, what I think is true, how I see certain scenarios, how is that? impacting what I'm going through at work. Does that make sense? Does that resonate what I'm saying about the overlap? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that people discount the overlap. They think, um, well, I'm just going into work and I'm doing this job, but you're not just doing that job. You're bringing your entire life and everything that's happened to you into that specific piece of work. So I wonder how and I want to come back to that as well, because I think that can mean a lot when we're dealing with our supporters or donors, yeah. that they might come to our work with different lenses mm -hmm. yeah. where they think we're doing a certain thing and we need to recognize and build that relationship so we understand that. Yeah. But also, how do, you, how do you deal with that when coming to work or how does that make you, how can you make that, use what you're seeing your work as to make you a better fundraiser or at least acknowledge that subconscious. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends if there's a problem, mm -hmm. right? So if you're going into work and there's not a problem, but I think just having the awareness that everything I'm experiencing is because of my own vast personal experiences. And when I'm talking about interpersonal relationships at work, everyone else is experiencing. So if you do have a conflict, for example, to, to, to pause and say, I'm just getting a view of their entire life, their entire existence in how they're presenting this. Um, and I think that when we're talking about, like you mentioned, like, like donor relationships or pulling in fundraising, how you're viewing, I mean, fundraising very much is selling, right? Mm -hmm. You're selling this idea and you want people to be able to, to donate money for that vision. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that you have, you see that vision and the way that you communicate it impacts, it is impacted by how you see the world. 
So if you're having trouble with that, then the thing isn't to say, how do I get to be better at that thing out there? The thing is to say, what is it in me that I need to evaluate or notice or shift so that I can be a better communicator of the vision that I'm trying to change? Here's the thing is that people have this idea that I'm saying something and you don't understand me, right? Mm -hmm. You don't understand. So why don't you understand? But if I'm the one trying to communicate something, then it's on me to actually do that communication in a way that you understand. It's not on you Mm -hmm. to shift how you understand something. It's on me to communicate it in a way that makes sense to you. Now, if that's true, then it would make a lot of sense for me to understand how you see the world, because then I can better frame what I'm going to say. I can better... um, explain why something might be important. And I think that as really good, I'm going to say like salespeople and putting that in quotations, right? But I was in sales for 20 years. The thing I think that made me so good at it was that I was able to listen to people and understand their frame, like how they see the world. And then I could, I could talk about my product in a way that fit that frame. Look, if someone says to you, like, I have this vision, you know, I want to create this um, world where I can impact things and I can live in a different way and I want to see everyone thriving. And I think if I could donate my money to organizations that held that same vision, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's say somebody says that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of vision words in there, a lot of seeing words, a lot of visual. If I, as the fundraiser, say, I hear you. I hear this all the time from people, and I really feel like we need to get together and really listen to what the world needs. That person is going to be like, what? You don't know what I'm talking about. It will be so subtle, they won't know why. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't feel right. It's just not a fit. And if you could hear what they're saying, right, instead of thinking about what you're going to say, but you could really listen in and really get curious and ask a lot of questions, you will start to hear their patterns and then you can talk in a language that they understand. And right off, you're, you're going to go up in terms of the amount of money that you're able to bring in. R- right off, just doing that alone, that one simple thing. You know, Betsy, when I work with volunteers who are fundraising, um, a lot of the time I hear volunteers say things like, well, I'm not, a, I'm not very extroverted. You know, I'm, I'm really introverted, so I don't like to... I, I don't think I'd be good at this. You know, you need somebody who's really personable and charismatic. And, and I always say that's not true, that actually most of my volunteers who are really successful in fundraising are introverts because of that very reason. They listen. They're not mm-hmm. there to, you know, they listen. They're, it yeah. tends to be, and I'm, I'm not trying to <laughs> insult all yeah. the extroverts that are listening to this podcast <laughs> right now, um, but introverts are tend to be really really good listeners there's a certain natural skill set yeah right yeah a natural skill set I think that's fair it doesn't mean that extroverts don't learn it a lot of extroverts learn that but I do think that's a natural skill set I'm very introverted I'm not shy I'm not shy but there's a difference right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I'm I recharge by coming inward so for me asking questions and listening that's really fun for me because I don't have to be out you know what I mean? I don't have to be like, ah. And so I get filled up by that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that we, we, when we think about, like, what our natural um, skill sets are, mm-hmm. I think that's important. But then I also think it's really important to know that we can learn anything. Like, we can learn anything. And we can – one of the things NLP is really good at is modeling. NLP was actually created – by modeling excellence. So NLP isn't like some made-up thing. It's just a conglomerate of all kinds of things that were already happening in the world with language and communication that were brought together into like a subset that you could actually teach somebody, Mm. okay? So when you think about that, then we can just model excellence. And if I don't naturally have that skill set, but I want to be able to do it, or I want to be able to do the thing better, then absolutely I can, I can learn that. I just have to be open to it and be aware that maybe there's another way to do th- something. So where do people get started on this? You know, as 
how do you start to tap into who you are and, you know, how, how do you work in the unconscious mind and how do you help people yeah. do that? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is to have an awareness and to understand that the way that you see the world isn't separated from anything that you experience. You know, so many times, and I'm going to give you some actual things that you can do, but many times people will believe that there is the world out there happening to them. Like, I'm struggling. I am a fundraiser, and I'm struggling. And people aren't donating, right? Have you ever heard that? Like, people aren't mm -hmm. donating. But are there, there's no people donating? Nobody's donating? Or you're not finding the people, or you're not convincing the people that yours is the place to donate. And here's the shift that I want to make in that is that when we say nobody's donating, we're at effect. The world is happening outside of me and I have no, there's, it's got nothing to do with me. But when I can say I haven't done the, I haven't said the right things to find the people that are ready to donate. Now I'm at cause. Now I'm like, I'm at cause. This is a me thing. But what that does is it empowers me because I can change that. Mm -hmm. I can't change it if nobody's donating. But I can change it if people are donating and I haven't said the right things to bring those people in. Now I'm empowered and now I can do something about it. So the number one thing I would say is for people to just start to become aware. When I very first start working with people, I tell them to set a timer on your iPhone. And like every 30 minutes, just let the timer go off and ask yourself, what have I been thinking about? What have I been doing? What have I been thinking about? And even if you just do this for a day, you will be so shocked <laughs> at how many things you're thinking about that aren't bringing you forward. You know how many times you go to make a call and the first thing that you think about is the time you made a call before and somebody hung up on you, right? You go to do something and then you have a flash of that image of the time you were turned down 24 times in one day, right? Mm -hmm. Like... And so when you start to get that awareness, you start to understand what your story is. And your story is either going to be the thing that propels you forward or the thing that holds you back. When I was, um, my, my daughter's in her 20s now, but when she was young, I was a single mom and I worked selling copiers. Now, I had been in sales for years and years and I was really good at it. But when I started selling copiers was right when the economy was dipping down in like 2007. And it was so hard. I started this job and they had me shadow this woman named Jennifer that I thought was great. She was super nice and happy. And we went around and she showed me through her whole territory. And then the next day I showed up thinking I was going to shadow with Jennifer again. And they said, actually, Jennifer's been fired, but you've got her territory. And now you know where it is because you spent the day with her yesterday. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God. So they were like the woman that worked before Jennifer got fired too, because she didn't produce either. And I'm thinking in my head, like, so the last two people that have worked in that territory didn't produce. So I'm like, you gave me a bad territory. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the first thing I thought, right? Like, this is bad. And here I am, I'm a single mom, like, this is bad. And for a couple weeks, I was trying to learn. But the whole time, the story in my head was like, I have a bad territory. I don't even know if this is going to work. I have a bad territory. And one day I was driving to work and I was thinking about this whole situation and how bad this was. And I thought, what if it's not bad? Like, what if every time I go out and I would go, it was in Atlanta and I would have to go from like small business to small business, like, you know, in my heels, teetering, like from <laughs> walking in the heat. And like, everybody would say, no, do you have a copier? Yeah, I already have one, right? Like everybody already has a copier. And so- driving to work. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to think of it in a different way. And then I was like, what if every time I got a no, I got really excited because I'm getting no's all the time and I'm getting <laughs> upset. So what if I got no's and got excited? So I actually made this like checklist, which I actually photocopied and cartoon nose like a physical nose from one of my daughter's books <laughs> and I made a piece of paper that had 24 nose on it and I was like every day I'm gonna leave as soon as I get 24 nose now if it's three o'clock in the afternoon I've gotten my nose I'm going home 
But if it's six o'clock and I've only gotten 22 no's, I'm going to get my 24 no's and I'm going to stay until the very last minute. And that's what I started to do. And pretty soon I would get to enough people, right? Because many times sales is a numbers game. I would get to enough people. I pitched enough times. I got better at it. When people would say yes, I would be like, can you hurry? Just sign this because I have to go. I got like six more no's to get. But I changed the story. And at the end of that year, I was in the president's circle. I won the free trip. Me and my really good girlfriend left and went on a week-long cruise to Belize, (laughs) all paid for by the company. And it was all because I did that one thing, is that I recognized what my story was, and I shifted it to something that actually served me. We have a choice. It doesn't matter if something's real. We get to pick if it's real. Because Anne approached the bank. Right. And Anne could be doing whatever Anne wants to do. And I decided for me, I wanted getting nose to be the thing that I celebrated. And pretty soon I figured out a whole new way to do it because I got so many no's. And then it became just so much simpler and happier. And even if I got no's all day, I didn't go home feeling defeated. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important, especially when you're dealing with the public and reaching out to people. And getting no's can be really deflating. And so recognizing what is my story about that? Does it mean something about me, right? Or does it mean something about the way I'm communicating? Because I can fix that. What does it mean? And how do I want to deal with that? And I think that can be a really empowering place just to recognize it and then taking control. Yeah, I love that story, Betsy. That is... (laughs) That's a lot of, um, I don't know, creativity that I don't think I would have. I don't know that I could shift my, nope, see, look, I'm telling myself a story. I couldn't do that. I know, right? I was just going to say, this is perfect. (laughs) And what if you could? could? Who would you be if that was something that you did? And I think here's some questions, you know, for people that are listening, right? If if you're listening and you're like, "Ah, I don't know, my situation isn't really like that right? Maybe that's what you're thinking. Like, what if, what if it didn't matter? What if you were the kind of person who made things work? What if that was the way you saw the world? Who would you be? Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't you be anymore? Are you ready to not be that person? And how would you show up differently every day? What are the things you'd be thinking What are the things you'd be saying? What are the things you would surround yourself with? How would you project yourself onto other people? Right? There is so much. I I think that being in, especially especially I think, a sales type position, right? Or a fundraising type position. It is fertile ground for personal growth. It really is. Because every day you could be triggered by something else. And when I get a trigger, and I get them all the time, right? Like things happen and I'm like, oh, I feel the constriction. I go, this is really good because there's something really good in here for me. You know, there's something good. I get to learn. I get an opportunity to expand. Here's my lesson. Oh, we're in school. A couple days ago, I was saying to my husband, I had reached out to my ex-husband, like, and I, we're good friends, my ex-husband and I. We've been divorced for so long. But I reached out to him a couple times for things. I know he's busy, but he didn't message me back. And then I reached out to a girlfriend about something, and she didn't message me back. And then I messaged my dad, and then I messaged my sister. And then I was like, why? I said to my husband, why is nobody reaching out to me? Like, why is nobody messaging me back? What the heck is wrong with everybody? And then I was like, oh, oh, life is in session. There's something for me to learn here. What am I reaching out for? And for me, it was validation. Mm -hmm. I wanted to reach out and have them reflect back that I was doing good. And I got to pause and look at that and say, what is it that I'm doing? What is it that I want? And what is it that I'm not getting that's making me feel bad? And how do I see that different? Because that's when life is in session. You know, when we're happy and we're skipping and we're going down the street, like life's not in session then, but we want to grow. I want to be better. I want to have an amazing career. But then when life goes in session, you constrict and you go, oh, I don't want this. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. Celebrate. When things, life ebbs and flows. And when you're in the ebb, get really excited because that's how the flow is going to come and be even better. So that's very true. 
so it just gave me an opportunity to be able to see. And, I, you know, I share my my struggles, I guess, all the time because I think we we hide those things and think that will make me seem like a failure or seem weak or whatever it is. But that's how we grow. We have to show each other that I'm tr- I'm trying to do something new here. I'm trying to learn what I've come here to learn. And I think we can do that in our work. It's such fertile ground. Being in sales or in fundraising is mm-hmm. such fertile ground for for growth, for personal growth, for spiritual growth, all of that. Is that when you start to ask yourself those questions, when you kind of feel like, I don't know, that things are out of your control or that something, that it's not you, that the reason something's going wrong? Yeah, yeah. I think anytime, you know, when we're in a really good place and things are flowing, we don't typically pause to go, why is this so good? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so when it gets bad, it's just a great opportunity to ask yourself those questions, you know? And to say, what was different about before? How did I feel different? One of the things that I always say is, um, if I feel bad about it, then I'm not looking at it in the right way. So, you know, I was texting my ex-husband and I was texting my sister, (laughs) whatever, and I was feeling bad about it. So I was like, what am I, how can I shift how I'm seeing that? Because how I was seeing it was everyone's ignoring me. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, essentially, I mean, mm-hmm. I knew they're probably busy or whatever, but I, w- like what? Why? Just message me back. You know, <laughs> like I was really. But then when I said, how else could I see this? I mean, you know, you, I had to sit and I had to be quiet and I had to ask myself, like, what is in this for me? What is there for me? How could I see this in a way that feels good? And right off, I thought, there's a lesson in here for me. That felt good. So right off, I was able to shift it just by going, there's a lesson. I just haven't figured the lesson out, but that's fine because I can. And so then I just sat, like, what could be something for me to learn? And I think that question, what is something for me to learn? But what typically happens with people and why people struggle and why people do the same thing over and over and over again, right, and expect something different is that they never have that moment where they're like, what is there for me to learn? They just resist the thing, mm-hmm. right? So they don't think about it. They just push it away. They talk about it with somebody else, like I was with my husband, right? Like, why are they so dumb, right? But when you pause and you actually can look at yourself and say, what's in this for me? What could I learn? How could I expand? How could I use this to be better? Like, that's when we really start stepping into bigger and bigger places in our lives. You know, that's when all of a sudden our outcomes change because we become different and our outcomes can't change if we stay the same. It's impossible. As you were talking about this, Betsy, I was thinking about, you know, especially the non-response, you know, as fundraisers, we often get frustrated when we're trying to, you know, we're sending out emails or we're sending out communication and we're not getting responses back. And we can be like, oh, yeah. they're not responding to me. Oh, they don't care. Oh, they don't, you know, they don't want to yeah. donate. Like we start determining what it is that person is thinking based on their yeah. non-response. And yeah. I started thinking as you were talking about what would our actions, what actions would be different if we shifted what we think that non-response means? You know, if we yeah. started believing they're not responding to me because they're so excited about this opportunity that they're trying to figure out how to make a million dollar gift. And so they're spending time like, how would I approach that individual? If I put up, you know, if I, if I changed how I interpreted that and this led me to the thought of a question that you have asked me a number of times over this last year and a half that has helped me tremendously. And you'll say, I'll be complaining about something, you know, or stuck on something. Yeah. And you'll ask me, what do you need to believe to move on? Or what do you need to believe to whatever, whatever the thing is that I need to do? And every time you ask me that, even though I, I now start asking myself that, but every time I'm just stopped dead in my tracks and I'm like, yeah, what story am I telling myself? And what story do I need to be telling myself? that I can move forward. Yeah. Because when yeah. I get in that place, I stop. I, I just get yeah. stuck. And I think when we, so anyways, that is just where my brain is going is that 
what would that look like if we believed that they were excited instead of we believed they were not responding? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like because of our own experiences, we have this projection of what other people are doing. So if we don't hear back from them, we think, oh, it's me or they have a they're they don't care. They've chosen they're not going to give this year. I don't know. They're ghosting me. Right. But instead, we can get way more creative if we're like, I have no idea because you don't like I really have no idea. Like I wonder maybe they're taking a safari to Africa. Like, I don't, like, like we really have no idea, right? I remember years and years ago, I worked um, for a new home builder. So I, like, sat in the new home and, like, people would come in and I would tell them about the elements of the house. And I remember the house that I was sitting in, the model had the kind of ceiling that's like that popcorn ceiling. And as opposed to, like, a smooth ceiling. And I remember when the manager brought me in and like showed me the house. He said, all of the homes in this neighborhood, it's standard to have that popcorn ceiling. So if they want something different, it's going to cost them, right? So they're going to have to upgrade. So immediately I'm thinking, well, it, most people must not want the popcorn ceiling. And I had some people come in one day and they wanted a tour and I toured them around. And the person looked up, the woman looked up and she said, are all of the ceilings like that in all the houses? And now my first reaction was like clench, like, oh, no, she hates the ceilings. Like, this is so much more money. I'm not going to be able to do this. And I said, yes. And she said, I love those. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, we have no idea. (laughs) Like, we have no idea what people are thinking. Like, you just don't know. And I share that story because we project ourselves onto it and we think they're not doing it because they don't like me or they don't you know they're too busy or whatever we think but really we don't have any idea and if we can go at it like that like I like I really have no idea then all of a sudden anything is possible like then all of a sudden it like could be anything right so you know it, it puts us in a more creative space Mm-hmm. And really, that's what you want because problem solving, fundraising, selling, it's a creative thing. Mm-hmm. We cut ourselves off, you know, from the natural flow that can come to us. So you've kind of talked about um, how we find our own story and how we mm-hmm. tell our story. Yeah. Do you have a good, any techniques or um is it beneficial to try and get our donors' story from them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think asking really great questions, right? So first, understanding how they see the world. Do they see it? Do they hear it? Do they feel it? Mm-hmm. Right? How, how are they experiencing the world? So I think that's one thing. And that's just a really good listening. Listen to the words that they're using, right? So that's going to show up in their words. If they're always like, this feels so good. This feels like exactly what I was looking for. Like uh, they will use words that you will be like, I just know that, that this is where they're coming from. So that's the first thing. But then I would really ask, like, do you, do you know why your donors give money? Like, do you know what their story is of why they do that? And like what their process is and what, like spurred them to give the very first time, what's the amount that feels really good to them? When do they get excited about giving? Are there certain organizations they love to give to more than others? Who's the kind of people that they love working with? Do they have favorite fundraisers? Do they ever do anything with those fundraisers? Like what are the things they like to do in their lives? I mean, it sounds silly, but those are all the things that are going to come into their mindset when they're making a decision. So I think, you know, most of the fundraiser fundraisers that are listening probably do create relationships with their donors, right? That's mm-hmm. they probably do that. But I would say, can you dig a little deeper? Can you find out what's actually motivating them? Why do they want to give to your organization specifically? What makes it different? Like what calls to them? There may be a really great story. And here's the thing about sales and about fundraising and about emotion is that 
when I go into DSW to buy my shoes, and there's a lot of shoes in there, I am immediately narrowing stuff down based mm-hmm. on criteria, right? Do I, I, I'm coming for heels. So I'm not even looking at the boots. I'm not looking at the tennis shoes. I'm going right for the heels. And then I'm going for one that makes me feel something. Like, oh, look at that color. That feels so fun. I love that. Th- this is no different. People's buying strategy is the same for everything. So in NLP, we have strategies. There is a specific way that we go about buying something, and we will do it the same for every single thing, big or small. So understanding what a person's motivation is, like, why do they even give? What do they feel? Is there a story in that? You know, did something happen in their life that made them do that? You know, pick your organization to begin with. Is there another organization they give more to because there's a story there? And maybe there's a piece of your organization's story that they don't know that matches that. Mm -hmm. And so I think asking those questions and really digging into all that can be helpful. That point about the strategy and finding out their process, that really hit hard for me. Like knowing if someone, if they are just spurred to give, like they see a cool story and they're like, I have to give to this. Or if there's someone who is very logical and they want to know that it's like their investment and they want to make sure it's being used well. And so knowing that part of how they think, I really like that. And I think that's useful. Yeah. And one of the things when I work with donor teams is mapping out how people actually create what their strategy is, how you pull out their strategy and then you know. Interesting. And then, yeah. And then, then it's, then it's just matching their strategy. This is what you need to know. And then I'm not telling you a whole bunch of stuff you don't need. What do you mean by mapping it out? Um, so we have a certain buying strategy. So like if I go into a store, I go in, let's say I go in because I'm going to a wedding and I've got to find something to wear. I go in, I'm telling myself the trigger is I'm going to a wedding. So I, have to, I, I need to go shopping. And I walk into the store and then I'll see something, right? So I'm seeing it, it's a visual. And then I'm saying something to myself, oh, that, that might be cute on me. I'm short, but that looks like I could wear it, right? Like Mm -hmm. I will have that conversation in my head and then I get a feeling. So like, what's the feeling I have about that? And then I make a decision, yes or no, right? If it's a, if it's no, then I start that whole process again. Mm -hmm. I see something, I have a discussion in my head. Now, here's my problem. When I go to Amazon, I buy completely different. I don't have the discussion in my head. And so I buy so much crap on Amazon, I have to send back because I don't have a proper strategy. I was just saying the other day, I need to install a new strategy for online shopping. It's different, mm-hmm. right? It's a, I'm missing a step. It's a problem. But, but every other thing that I do, every time I'm buying, my buying strategy, if it's a good solid buying strategy, will be the same. I just bought a car. I did the same exact thing, right? I mm-hmm. saw it. I narrowed it down. I had to buy a car. You know, I saw it. I said something to myself. I got a feeling. I was like, that's it. I'm going to buy that car. You know how you walk in, you're just like, I just knew. Mm-hmm. So if you can elicit what someone's strategy is and understand how they make a buying decision, then they may need more information and someone else might need to see something. Mm-hmm. I, I need to see pictures of it. I used to donate to this organization that paid for kids to have club foot surgery. So I would pay for all their surgeries and all their um, doctor's visits until they were complete. And that was a thing that I did because I got a picture. Every time they would send me a picture of the kid and they would say, do you want to sponsor this kid? This is the kid. This is his name. This is him and his mom. And then as he would go through his surgeries and all the things, they would send me more pictures. So then I would want to do it again because mm-hmm. I, I have a visual buying strategy. So if you're working with someone that, like me, and you're just like, it goes to a group. I would be like, yeah, it's not really what I want to give to. Mm-hmm. But you show me people and you say, you're going to impact this little girl. I would be like, oh, like sign me up for take that, right? <laughs> yeah, take my money. So knowing how people actually make that decision is so important. And what happens is that you probably sell in the way that you have your own strategy. And so you get people. Oh. Because some people match your strategy, mm-hmm. but then you're missing all the people that don't match your strategy. So when you can adjust it based on who you're working with, then all of a sudden 
life is different. Never thought of that. Interesting. So I want to ask this question, Betsy. Um, So Allie works for Animal Humane Society. You know, they Mm -hmm. help animals get homed, cats and dogs. And I know that you are a dog person. Yeah. So (laughs) you, you said you see first, right? Yeah. So yes. So Allie yeah, would want. So wanna... I, I'll have a I'll have a trigger that'll be like I I need to get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> then I would see one. Right. Okay. Then I would see one. Then I would say something to myself, and then I would feel it. I'd have a feeling. So I know that that you also lost your dog last year. That was really really close yeah. to you. And if yes. Allie knew you and knew that, and she approached yep. you with the feeling of that emotion of losing before she approached you with really cute pictures of dogs. Yeah. Are you saying that then that might not be as an effective strategy? I would get a picture in my mind of Miley. Mm. If she brought Miley's to my attention, Mm -hmm. I would get a picture of her in my mind. She was the greatest dog on the planet. I love that little dog. And so, so if she didn't have any Miley's though, if she didn't have any dogs that look like Miley. No, but she would say, I heard you lost your dog. Mm -hmm. I would get a, internal representation of Miley. Right? When you said mm-hmm. that about her, I had a picture in my mind. Right. And so I have a picture now. Right? Allie, right. take my money. <laughs> <laughs> like I I have a picture now, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you'd tell me something. There's so many little dogs that like Miley that need yeah. something. And I would have an internal dialogue with myself about that. Oh, I bet she's right. I could impact some little dog like Miley. I would have a feeling. Mm-hmm. And then and even saying this, I feel like I want to give you money. I'm not even joking. Like, it, it, that is my strategy, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah. So you could bring that up. You could bring up an internal representation. It doesn't have to necessarily be something external. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what would turn you off from donating to Allie? Like, it, if she approached it in a different way, what would cause you to not feel the way you're currently feeling? Yeah, anything outside of that strategy. So if she said, um, if she just started telling something that I didn't have, so I got to have a picture first, then I got to say something, and then I got to feel something. Mm -hmm. So if she was making me feel something, like, I don't know, telling some really story that made me super emotional, um, and then she said, these are the facts, Mm -hmm. I would probably disengage from that. Yeah, if I started giving you numbers like, oh, there's... yeah. All these, there's thousands of animals that need your help right now. And you're like, well, yes. tell me about one of them. Tell me about one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's what's going to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So hearing somebody's stories can help you figure out their strategy too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's a science to it, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, people are people and we all have our unique things about us. But when you can understand those unique things, then you can help someone if someone's coming to be a donor because they want to have an impact on the world, Mm -hmm. right? No doubt about that. And so you're really, what you're trying to do is convince them that your organization is the one that's going to have the biggest impact and that's Mm going to create the most change that they desire. And so you just have to speak that to their language, help them understand that truth. And we can do that by using these strategies and helping them understand that way. You've talked about a few techniques now. Are there mm-hmm. any others that you think would be really useful for fundraisers? I mean, I think any fundraiser going through their own money beliefs. Oh, okay. Go through your own, what do you really think about money? Mm-hmm. What do you really think about donating money? Like, and not just like, well, I think it's good. Like, I think, no, like, what do you really think? And if you want to know what you really think, look at your own finances and, and, ha- and, and do it with a lot of compassion right? Mm-hmm. Do it with a lot of compassion for yourself, but say what I really think is showing up in what I'm doing. So um, I have my conscious mind. It's the part of me that says, yes, I, I want to live this life. I want to have this goal and I want to accomplish this thing, right? That's my conscious mind. I'm making decisions, mm-hmm. right? My unconscious mind is running the show, it's going to be about 95% of every single thing that I do, probably more if you have no awareness, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be every habit, every trigger, every um, reaction, 
right? Every story you tell in your, every emotion, it's all unconscious. And most of this was created, these unconscious patterns, by the time we were about seven. So everything that your mother thought, your father thought, any caregivers, your grandparents, teachers, people you respected, those all become your value system, your beliefs. And your nervous system is regulated to those things. So now I have this goal. And the goal is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use weight loss because this is one most people can understand. Mm-hmm. So the goal is, I'm, you know, New Year's resolution, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, right? The moment I'm not thinking, the moment I'm not consciously thinking I'm going to lose 20 pounds, I immediately default to the 95% of my unconscious mind, mm-hmm. which are the patterns and the habits and the triggers and all of those things. And chances are, if you haven't done any work on those things, those things are the thing that got you where you are in the first place, mm-hmm. having to lose the 20 pounds, right? So now those two things don't align. It's like having a railroad car with the feet on two different tracks. Like they're both going in different directions. And so you're never going to hit your goal, but it's not your fault. It's because your brain's working really well. So if you want to be a really great um, fundraiser, I think you got to really look at what you really think about money. Because whether you notice it or not, you're projecting that mm-hmm. onto the people that you're working with. And you make a big ask for somebody, and especially if they can see your face, and you have an issue with somebody giving $40,000 because that feels like a lot of money to you, you're going to have a micro expression that's going to come across your face that you're not even going to notice, but they are. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to know why. It just doesn't seem right. Something doesn't sit right. This isn't the organization, but I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it. I just have a gut feeling, mm-hmm. right? It's your own stuff. Yep. So look at your own stuff and do it with a lot of compassion. You know, what do I really think about money? What do I think about earning money, wealth, donating money, the amount of money? How can you regulate your nervous system so that somebody donating $100,000 does not jar your nervous system at mm-hmm. all? right? How can that feel really calming? Like that's, that's where you got to get to. And then that projects out onto everything. Cause now that's your and approach to the bank. Mm-hmm. I think that's invaluable. And I love that you brought that up about money. And I really, that doesn't, as long as you're aware of how you feel about it, it's not good or bad. It's just helpful to know yeah. how you actually react to those type of things. And yeah. probably in every aspect of life too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it gives you a, um, you can have some compassion with yourself because maybe mm-hmm. you've had your own money goals, right? Your own right. wealth goals and you haven't hit them and you're like, how come? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I must be, I must be bad at this. I'm not good with money. I, like, are you repelled by like money books or money podcasts? Because if you are, there's something in you mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. just needs to be healed, right? Something you picked up from somebody else. It's probably not even yours, right? It's probably grandma's or something, <laughs> right? So yeah. Like notice where you're like rejecting or not looking or like if somebody's on Instagram and they're, you know, they have a really nice car that you would want or a handbag or whatever it is. Like, do you immediately click away and think, ugh, they're so flaunty, right? You know what I mean? Uh Because that's, it's just you projecting the fear of you couldn't have that, but you can, Mm -hmm. you can have anything you want. So Betsy, I'm going to guess that you can help individuals that want to, um, overcome those feelings or identify them. And you can also help teams, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So I do um, uh, cocoon days, which is a day where we dive into everything about you and what you think about the thing. And we reorganize your unconscious mind so that it aligns with what you consciously want. And I work with with teams, with donor teams. And I have a process that I work through um, teaching you not only about the unconscious and strategies, but helping you uncover your own money stories and your own money blocks. So you can find me everywhere at Betsy Paik. My website's Betsy Paik. I'm so creative that it's just my name. <laughs> And they can also tune in to your podcast, The Art of Living Big. The Art of Living Big. Yep. And I don't know when will this air. Do you know when it will air? Yep. October 25th. Okay. So um, there is something coming December 1st. Ooh. So you'll probably want to be on, my, on my, uh, my mail list, which you can do just by going right to my website and you'll scroll down and you'll see there's a way to sign up, but there's going to be something coming that I think will help everybody and is 
really easy and cost effective and is going to be really fun. Fantastic. Well, Allie, do you want to ask her our signature question? Yes. What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Let everybody else do the things you're good at, that they're good at, and you just do the thing that you're good at. Right? Mm -hmm. Delegate out. Love it. And I think that, like, we can do this in our lives. Like, you know, if we work for for someone and we are part of a a fundraising team, and you might be thinking, like, I don't have to delegate stuff. Like, this is my job and I just do my job. But there are things in your life that you are spending your energy Mm -hmm. on that you don't need to, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes it's as simple as, like, ordering a a, um, meal plan, you know, (laughs) how the meals can be delivered, the HelloFresh or whatever it is. Or getting a assistant, you know, you can hire people to just come and help you for like two hours a week or getting your groceries delivered, like whatever that is, don't put your energy into the things that don't make you great. Just mm-hmm. focus where you have to be great. I always hear people say like, work on your weakness. I'm like, yeah, or don't just work <laughs> on like, the things that make you great and do more of those things, right? And then you can always heal your other crap, but focus on what makes you great. I agree. I have. Cooking is not my thing, and I've finally given up on it. I'm like, meh, it's fine. I it's not good. love putting my energy other places. And I also recently told my husband that I'm, I feel like that emptying the dishwasher, <laughs> that's actually not something I'm good at. And I feel like it's not something that I need to be concerned with. He was like, you can't do that. I was like, oh, but men all over the world do do that. And so <laughs> I will also be doing that. Exactly. <laughs> he says I'm a terrible dishwash loader. So I'm like, I don't want to load or unload. So Exactly. Yeah, you're like, if I'm doing it wrong. Well, yeah, then delegating that out to you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. I knew this was going to be a really fun conversation and it absolutely was. So thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was, it was really great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun to be with you girls. And it's Betsy, P-A-K-E dot com, right? Yep. Just like a cake, but with a P. Perfect. And the Art of Living Big podcast. And then yeah. to all of our listeners, please subscribe to our Legacy of Generosity podcast.